This podcast was originally recorded on Thursday, June 14th. It took a while to edit, but we hope you enjoyed this special edition of No Offense But. And now, I want to congratulate the class of 2018 on making it through four years of pain, of torture, and of memes. You all should be incredibly proud of yourself, Bruins. Wait, you're not Daddy Jean. This is no offense, the Daily Bruins official opinion podcast. My name is Keisha of Thadi Media. I'm the Daily Bruins opinion editor. And uh, this is the final podcast of the quarter of the year, actually. Wow, time has flown. We have a large group of friends with us today on our podcast. Uh, does everybody want to go around and introduce themselves? Um, hey, I'm Abhishek Shetty. I'm an opinion columnist. Former assistant opinion editor. Hi, Rupan Brian Darn. I'm the former news editor, graduating tomorrow, actually, at commencement. Hi, I'm Emi Nakahara. I'm the Science and Health News Editor for this year. Next year, I'll be the News Enterprise Editor, so hit me up if you have any interesting things that are going on at the school. Hi, I'm Liberty Feliciano, former Assistant Opinion Editor, like three times removed at this point, <laughs> and um, Senior Staff for Life, Queen of Eddie Board for Life. Are we going to get senti in this podcast? This sort of reminds me of, like, the Daenerys Targaryen intro from Game of Thrones. It's like, Liberty Feliciano, breaker of chains, queen of editorial board, mother of... No, not dragons. There are no dragons here. Mother of you, Keshav. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, I, I am here in my position causing... wreaking havoc on this campus because of Liberty. And speaking of history, wow, what a great segue. Um, Liberty was actually one of the original founders of the No Offense podcast, and she's graduating, so... We thought it'd be appropriate to figure out why we're sitting in a room right now recording a podcast on my phone. I mean, that's where it all started. I mean, before we used the recording app on iPhones, we used a mic. We would all crowd around the conference room while Chris Campbell held it out to us. And then we transitioned into UCLA radio for two quarters. A glorious time when we did a live broadcast where it was the same people every week because no one else was available in that time slot besides you, me, Chris, and whoever else we could drag into that cramped room. And now we're here. So, so <laughs> might have to. Was that a good history? <laughs> so, so where, where did no offense come from? I'm just curious. Well, Chris wanted to be an opinion columnist. So Chris Campbell was the former radio director in 2015, 2016. And then he was the opinion editor 2016, 2017. And I was an assistant opinion editor under his reign, we'll say. Yeah, so Chris was really interested in opinions. So he was really connected with the editors. And we were really interested in using multimedia to like expand opinions presence around the paper and so we were like let's have an opinion podcast and so we discussed what it was going to look like originally we were thinking like oh we'll always have two columnists debating each other and it'll be like like vertical integration because it'll be related to the columns they write for that week so like the first one was about greek life and it was arm gagazian and casey Kovrick talking about like their experiences with greek life or like what they believe should happen to greek life and obviously we've come a long way from then where now it's just like a forum style podcast where we 
you know, I was going to use a bad word <laughs> about current issues. We we go to town about current issues. We go to town about current issues. So obviously we've evolved from that point just because of like availability. I mean, because this form is better. I was there at the tail end of the 2015-2016 no offense era and then I was there with Chris all of last year and now I'm here and we're all here. Um but we're carrying the torch and it's important because without this podcast there are no other podcasts at the Daily Bruin really. Well, well that that is an illustrious history and uh you know speaking of taking no offense to uh, Higher grounds, or no offense, taking you places. Um, so a couple of weeks back, we did a podcast about VeggieGrow, where we sort of looked at the menu items. We learned what chicken with the apostrophe is. Um, we learned what ancient grains were. And we sort of wondered if VeggieGrow was worth the price point. And I, sort of after that podcast, uh, one of the VeggieGrow managers uh, sent me an email saying, hey, do you want to try some of our menu items? And uh, you know, then come to a conclusion. And we're like, Sure. So we talked to our editors, managing editors, got approval from them. And uh, we had quite the experience doing the taste testing. And let's just say some of our opinions actually changed. Take a listen. I'm chewing. <laughs> this is us in Ackerman Union. We took a stroll down to Veggie Grill before the quarter ended and were greeted by the restaurant's general manager, Adrian. He told us a bit about how some of the dishes are prepared, about how business is at the restaurant, and about what kind of service students seem to be looking for. Then, he gave us a couple signature dishes to sample. This is good. Right now, just a lot of avocado. So let me get the actual other stuff. That's Rupan Barnidhar, the former Daily Bruin news editor. He's trying out the avocado toast, one of the appetizers at Veggie Grill. If you like avocado, it's good, but there's, it could use some pepper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Rhiannon Davies, a former Daily Bruin slot editor. So yeah, one of one of the things that Adrian, the Medjugorje general manager, said is that it's really good, fresh taste to it, and I can I agree on the fresh part. Of course, I couldn't help but share my opinion too. For me, the idea of avocado toast seemed very interesting because avocado has like zip taste, and toast has. A toast taste <laughs> so it's like a zip toast taste now so not too much enthusiasm about the avocado toast next up were the vegan buffalo wings consistency is really it doesn't really taste like soy that's abhishek shetty one of the former assistant opinion editors what does it taste like it really does taste like chicken that's just surprising it wasn't just the meat replacement though the buffalo wing sauce was also scoring some big points i think they really nailed the sauce this is emmy nakahara former science and health news editor, and incoming enterprise editor. I don't mind if the chicken itself has no taste because, I mean, white meat chicken doesn't have much taste and they got the consistency like pretty spot on, I think. Rupan had similar thoughts. The mix of the sauce they give, or like the side sauce, and the buffalo wing, buffalo sauce, it really goes well. So yeah, it's a good mix, I think. Yeah. The buffalo wings were also pretty solid from a vegetarian perspective. So it's got a bit of like a tangy-ish taste. Tanginess that has like a twinge of spiciness to it. I'm a vegetarian, so I've never had buffalo sauce. But this is vegan. It's great. I guess this is how this is this is how the other side lives. Veggie Girl was one for two on the appetizers. Next up were the salads and the bowls. First was the buffalo wings salad. 
it has a salad on top of it, but it has a bunch of tenders, like, sort of creating a tiny teepee on top of it. So it's similar to, like, the buffalo wings we had before. But it has, like, the white sauce on top of it, which is still good. I think it complements the salad pretty well. It looked like there was a strategy behind the buffalo wings salad. Buffalo wings were a hit, so why not put it on a salad, literally? It's a very smart move to have the salad with the tenders, because the tenders is all heat, but the salad cools you down a bit. But I would say, for y'all looking to save money, and with kitchens, it's not very hard to make a salad on your own. You could just take some buffalo chicken wings, make your own salad at home, and just place them on top. Boom. Would you, but do they sell buffalo chicken wings? That's why I'm saying you should just buy the, the wings here, but get the salad somewhere else. Because, I mean, the salad itself is like nothing special. But the buffalo wings? Those were something rather special. Adrian gave us some insight into how the buffalo wing production process worked. Interestingly, what Adrian was saying was that Vagigo used to hand make their wings. They take the chicken with the apostrophe, not actual chicken. Um, they would hand make that and they'd bread it. But that took a lot of time. It took like three hours for a hundred. So now they outsource it because of the high demand for it. And that, that's pretty clear because at least a lot of people in the Daily Burn office take the kids meal. The next dish was the super taco salad, a conglomeration of avocado, chopped lettuce, sliced tomatoes, grilled corn, pinto beans, vegan chicken, and tortilla chips. It came unmixed, so we had to do a couple gymnastics to get the medley in place. And for the most part, Emmy failed miserably in doing that. So Emmy's now struggling to mix. She's using two knives. Not really sure what she's gonna do. I'm trying to cut up the avocado so it'll be evenly distributed. Trying to come at this from a lo ooh, logical perspective. And now food is falling outside, so now we know Emmy is not good at this job. <laughs> good thing she's pursuing science as a major, not culinary dishes or preparation for that matter. Culinary arts, there we go. The highlight of the dish, though, the flavor and presentation. It's really good. I mean, the presentation was good, but once you mix it up, all what, the what, flavors. What are the tastes? Walk us through what you're tasting. Mm. It's like Mexican Yeah. Like Mexican food. Yeah. You got, you got some beans, you got some like regular salad mm -hmm. leaves, you got some tomatoes, and yeah, it is like different different flavors mixing together. And also there's a sauce, I think, on top of it. I, I, I don't think it's ranch, some kind of um, dressing. Yeah, that like, that, that adds a little thing. Adrian said the dish was inspired by street tacos. The chicken taste was supposed to emulate what you'd get on a Mexican food truck. And for the most part, it did. Following that, we had the Sonoran Bowl, which featured quinoa, roasted vegetables, jalapenos, and sliced avocado and tomatoes. Let's just say there were some mixed feelings about this one. When I had my first spoon of it without the jalapeno, um, so I'm a spice-loving person. When I had it without the jalapeno, I, was, I got a lot of like the quinoa, there's uh, some cut tomatoes. I got the feeling of like a chipotle bowlish style, eating without any of the lettuce. But then when I put in the jalapeno there, like it added a good amount of like, crunch to it. You know, there's, there's, it's a little bit on the mushy side, but I think that's intentional because this is a bowl. Others disagreed, though. I'm just personally not a huge fan of quinoa. Like, I'd prefer to have a lettuce salad than a bowl with quinoa. Just like salad bowl. It's a little bit bland. Yeah, it's vegetables. <laughs> yeah, I think I prefer the other salad. We had more than one fake chicken one, a vegan chicken one, uh, than this one. It's, I think quinoa is just not a... I don't like the taste of quinoa in general. Then came the stars of the show the Steakhouse Burger, and the Santa Fe Crispy Chicken Sandwich. 
Adrian said these were some of the highlight menu items, so we had a try for ourselves. First, the steakhouse burger. Patty actually tastes surprisingly good. I think he said it was made of peas? You heard right, beets. Like the reddish purplish vegetable. As somebody who doesn't eat steak, what do you think about this? This is actually really good. Are you gonna start eating steak now? I don't know. The Santa Fe crispy chicken sandwich was also causing a bit of a sensation. Okay, so as someone who was very unsure of imitation meat, I like it, I approve, it's pretty good. I don't know if I like the wheat bun. Mm. That's my least favorite part of the whole burger. But everything else is pretty good. I like the avocado. I think it's a sandwich actually, maybe. Okay, a, a sandwich. I'll say the Santa Fe chicken is very much worth the price because it's extremely filling. It's a pretty large sandwich. I don't recall the exact cost, but I do remember it being very much worth it because when you just have one, you're like completely filled. And I couldn't even finish the fries that were on the side that come. So yeah, San Santa Fe chicken, it's like a little bit bland in the middle, but I don't really mind. Because I guess like, you can't get the seasoning deep in because of how it's made maybe, but that's completely fine. So we ate the dishes, we filled our stomachs, and now was the time for the verdict. What was our favorite dish? And was Reggie Guerrero really worth it all? I think my favorite dish is definitely the buffalo wings. It's like on their own. Just with that and like uh, they have some sort of sauce that went with it and like some celery too. Now, I know it's like an appetizer, but I, I think I've said this before, I think buffalo wings are their best um, thing they have to offer. I think on top of that, I think that salad with the buffalo wings on top was also good, second best, I would say. Although the salad, like other people said, it's like, it's kind of a mess salad. It's, it's a salad. I mean, it's not, nothing special about it. But if you want to be healthy and you want to taste some good buffalo wings, I recommend the, the buff bee wing salad. But overall, everything's really good. Would I recommend the incoming freshman? 100% yes. But I would also caveat, like, don't go too often. This is, like, if you want to treat yourself, maybe, after your final, that's the veggie girl. But like, I don't see it as like a sort of day-to-day -day -day thing, just looking at price points, things like that. So I would definitely recommend Veggie Grill to someone on campus who's not tried it. If you're in the mood for fries especially, fries are a five out of five. My favorite food that we tried today was the steak burger. Um, but what my favorite thing I've had at Veggie Grill that we didn't eat today is the kale Caesar salad. If you're a Caesar salad fan, that's really good. If you're in the mood for something a little bit different than everything else in Ackerman, Veggie Grill fits that. I'd say my favorite one has to be easily the steak burger. It's pretty good. I'm surprised. Maybe I should eat steak now. <laughs> I guess the quinoa bowl was, it was pretty average. It was just vegetables and quinoa, which is not much. Would I recommend this to a freshman or to someone who's here? I guess both would be yes. Because first of all, the food is good. I think secondly, what's really important is that the lines are short. It's like you, you, you look at the lines, everyone else, and you might be waiting for like, what, 20 minutes? So like, yeah, especially like if you're in a hurry, like Regigal is the place to go. And you can order online. So basically like if you have, if you have class at 1 and you're at 12.45 in a different class, you can order from there, come here and pick up, and that's pretty quick from my other vis visits to Veggie Grill. The service is really excellent. Shout out to Destiny, who's my cashier I see multiple times a week. <laughs> um, they remember your name if you're a frequent customer, which is a huge perk. <laughs> and we can get to chat. And since there are short lines, as Abhishek mentioned, um, they really take the time to get to know you. So, you know, as a person from Texas who had never met a vegan or eaten vegan food before, when I first came to California and I saw a lot of, you know, vegan stuff I was really skeptical because I was like oh my god I'm a diehard meat fan like 
you know, Texas barbecue, all that. So when I first tried veggie grill, I was really shocked because like their food is so delicious and they get the texture and taste pretty much almost always on the spot. I would definitely recommend this to freshmen and to my friends as well because A, they also have a rewards app where if you pay $99, you get $9 in rewards. We ended up having to leave the table early because someone was playing Grand Theft Auto on full volume next to us. But machine gun background noises aside, the opinion was pretty clear. Veggie Grill has top-notch food, it has top-notch service, and the flavor is compelling. The price point? Well, as with most high-quality yet pricey restaurants, go when you can, but not until you can't. We'll be back after a short break. No Offense But is a product of the Daily Beer's opinion section. You got any tips about what we should talk about next time on the podcast? Send us an email at opinion at dailybrewing.com or just come and visit us at Kirkhoff 118. Okay, folks, that's it for No Offense for the 2017-2018. Wait, wait, we, we didn't even talk about the news. What news? I don't know. I mean, like, nothing's going on right now, but we talk about the news on this podcast. This is a commentary podcast. Well, okay. Hmm. It, it has been an eventful year, so why not we try something new? We're going to have everybody um, go around and say and talk about what they think the biggest story of the year was and why. And there, there's a lot to choose from this year, surprisingly. Um, we'll start with uh, with Mr. Rupan. What, what do you think the biggest story of this year was? I think the biggest story this year was probably DACA, uh, deferred action of childhood arrivals and sort of Trump's decision in September to end the program. And it's gone through a lot since then. But so DACA, for those of you who don't know, was a program President Obama enacted during his second term that deferred deportation for undocumented individuals but to the United States as children. And there's about 4,000 or so undocumented students, many of whom are DACA recipients at the University of California. And so it's a pretty personal issue for many students here. And when Trump ended the program in September, it was a big deal and affected a lot of people here. But what's sort of interesting is it just, it didn't, the story just didn't end there when Trump ended the program. After he ended the program, the University of California, State of California, and several other states and cities and municipalities filed lawsuits against Trump administration for ending the program, saying they didn't follow the proper procedures to end a large program like that, that they ended the program was unconstitutional. And right now, it's going through the courts, and we'll see what rulings come out. Um, and another thing that happened with DACA was that uh, the UC and several of the groups suing Trump administration were able to get um, a federal court to allow the program to be operational while courts review the legitimacy of Trump administration's decision to end the program. So right now, DACA is operational, even though Trump administration ended it. But w- there's still a big question mark over, you know, the eventual what will happen to the program. We'll have to see what courts eventually rule. Most likely, this will go all the way up to the Supreme Court. So we have to see what the Supreme Court says about the program. It's a 5-4 Supreme Court in terms of five Republican-appointed justices and four Democrat-appointed justices. So we're not exactly sure what kind of ruling we will get. So it's still a lot of, a lot of uncertainty. And there's a big push in Congress to get some sort of Dreamer Act or some sort of immigration bill to provide status, legal status to undocumented students and DACA recipients. But that's also faced a lot of sort of issues passing the House and the Senate. So it's a lot of uncertainty around undocumented students, undocumented individuals, especially in Trump era. And so that, that's why I would say this is one of the bigger stories that happened this year. 
Yeah, I totally agree with Rupon, um, especially because like a lot of the tertiary stories that come out of this issue are about um, undoc- the undocumented community as a whole and like how ICE is treating people that they've detained and exposing a lot of the abuses in the system. And so it's definitely become something much bigger. In terms of like just this campus, though, I kind of think that Greek life was a huge story this year in terms of like sexual assault and violence, um, in terms of like the alcohol ban that was like temporarily enacted over all the frats. Um, and also in terms of voter coercion, because like when we saw the aftermath of the USAC election, a lot of people were pointing to frat houses as a site where candidates could take advantage of voters and their lack of sobriety in order to like gain their favor. Um, so like it's really interesting, I think. I mentioned earlier that the first No Offense podcast was about Greek life. And at that time, Aram was arguing that like frats should be banned outright. And something the editorial board argued earlier this year was that the alcohol ban should have been permanent because it opens up so much opportunities for abuse, both sexual and social. So it's really interesting to see where we might go from here now that we're starting to see more concrete action. Like this might have been a pivotal year for that issue. I think what's also interesting about, well, the Greek has always been in the news and it has gained its notoriety from all the news it has sort of generated. But this year was especially interesting because it was in the time of the Me Too movement um, when you saw people were taking note of sexual harassment, even at the university level, like students were demonstrating against it, you know, up in arms about it. And the administration took action. Um, at least we could see UCLA was trying to hold its own form of like sexual harassment discussions, you know, it held a Me Too sort of week, um, I think second week of spring quarter. Personally, I think easily the biggest story of this year was Westward Forward and the creation of a new neighborhood council in Western. Basically, earlier in the academic year, back in November, I think, graduate students and undergraduate students from, like, student governments at UCLA released a plan to create their own neighborhood council in Westwood. So, originally, you had the Westwood Neighborhood Council, which included Westwood Village, UCLA, and then also parts of Homeby Hills, where there are a lot of rich people who enforce their points of view on the poor people of Westwood and make us a NIMBY neighborhood, you know? So these students had their plan to cut out Westwood Village, Northwestwood Village, UCLA from Homeby Hills and south of Wilshire Boulevard and create their own neighborhood council, which would be more friendly to businesses, easier on housing, less NIMBY. And so, yeah, this the vote for this took place and the new neighborhood council was created. And I think this is like a big step forward. You know, especially in the future, we might see more housing, more housing than we would have in Westwood. So, yeah, the students really socked it to the NIMBYs, and I think that's a big thing. There's also the point that we're going to be seeing a lot more alcohol in Westwood, since that was one of the tipping points of the election. And also, just to note, though, that NIMBYs and homeowners, as they would like to call themselves, um, are not going anywhere, though. They can still, like, you know, file their lawsuits, put a wrench in the works, all of that. So who knows how fast moving forward will actually proceed. So Westwood has gone from ghost town to battleground. Yes. It's always been a battleground. 
but now it's like a le- a civic battleground. Yeah, whatever. Bad bad <laughs> analogy. Emmy, what do you think the biggest story of this year was? Well, I wanted to focus more on the academic side. So this year, I definitely think that a really important story was the termination of contracts among all financial and actuarial mathematics department lecturers at UCLA. So basically, the whole gist was that all of a sudden, a large amount of the faculty, the lecturing faculty in the financial and actuarial math department or FAM department were terminated and then one also quit in protest. A lot of the lecturers believe that the decision was made upon UCLA's decision to focus more on research rather than um, teaching for students. And so that was a large concern among students as well who believed that UCLA was at times prioritizing research heavy faculty rather than faculty who could focus more on educating their students, which is what a university should be focusing on in the first place. So I guess to like, uh, add on to the FAM stuff, FAM stuff, it, it's a special major in that unlike a lot of other majors, there isn't a whole lot of research done in financial actuarial math. The lecturers there, they're not actually like tenured faculty, they're professionals out there working as actuaries. And so if you're a student in actuarial math major, you're probably not interested in doing research, you're more interested in learning actuarial stuff and going out and working in, in the industry doing actuarial stuff. So it, that's why a lot of students were not very happy. UCLA, their argument sort of is that they're getting tenured faculty, math department faculty teach these classes. But students are saying, if you get a math department faculty teaches class, but someone who's never actually taken the actuarial certification test, who's done actuarial work, how are they um, actually going to teach it properly? So it's an interesting story, and it's, it's just there's two different views. Generally, a lot of people think it's positive for there to be tenure faculty teach a class, but I think in this major, there's a pretty sound argument for, for making sure lecturers, not tenure faculty, are teaching. So just to add on, this is actuarially a big problem. Sorry, bad pun. But the the founder of the FAM department, his wife actually is was against UCLA's decision. So it's sort of like a big faculty versus administration fight, which is always fun to witness. Um, and so yeah, this this it, it's interesting what UCLA is going to be doing once summer hits because that's when all the contracts end. Okay, and we are hitting the tail end of this podcast. What I think the most important story this year was the tuition hike in March. It doesn't seem like much. It was raising non-resident tuition by, uh, I believe, a couple hundred dollars. But I think the the intent behind it, the symbolism, and what other things the UC regents did was what made it really important. So there was a, I think for the first time, you had a lot of students protesting against the tuition hike. They were coming together, um, many different groups, you know, cultural organizations and USAC as well were all coming together to protest. There were unions coming together to protest the tuition hike. And on the regents front, they agreed to advocate for financial aid for non-resident students. And they're going to lobby the state and they, you know, decided to not raise residential tuition. So it's, it's a, and, and then from that, you see the UC has been working in this thing called the UC Advocacy Network. You can. Give it to the UC to find great acronyms. But, um, you know, the, the UC was partnering with students to lobby the state for more um, for more money so they didn't have to raise tuition. And you saw them trying to fight for non-resident students. And, you know, I, I just think it's really interesting because it's like California is in this like peak moment. We're in a gubernatorial election where we're all wondering, like, are we going to get funding for higher education? And at that moment, you have students mad at the regions, students mad at politicians, the UC mad at politicians. So I think 
it 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 seems like an interesting shift. We're not nonchalant about tuition hikes anymore. I think the only other interesting thing to add about tuition is that the UC is not raising in-state tuition this year, even though they were scheduled to do so during the May meeting. And the reason they're not going to raise in-state tuition is because they lobbied for additional funding from the state, and they got the funding that they wanted. Or for the most part, it looks like they will. So it's been an interesting year, and it looks like we've reached a point where the UC and the state have come to some sort of understanding, at least in terms of in-state tuition and the funding they need to prevent state tuition. It still looks like the California is not willing to provide funding to prefer a non-resident tuition hike, but they are willing to do what it takes to prevent in-state tuition hike. Yeah, well, tuition hikes are going to happen at some point, Rupon. I'm just glad you and I are going to be long gone suckers because it does not look like the state is going to give the UC what it wants in the future as much. doesn't look like the state is going to do much in the future. Just like us, it's probably going to part ways. Yeah, for some reason, it, California is like might split up into three states. Like you, you guys chose a wrong time to graduate. Like, like you're gonna graduate, go into the workforce, and then we're gonna have like North California, South California, and like something California. Cause I don't know, Central California, Cal- just California. Yeah. It's we're gonna pretend like Virginia now, like West Virginia, Virginia. Uh, I don't know. Yep. Well, on that note, that's a wrap for no offense. We'll see if. We're renewed for another season next year. Wait, wait, but but we are going to be renewed for another season. You don't know that yet. Yeah.